0: I'm Ed Gross, and this is CloserWeekly.com's classic TV and film podcast, celebrating the golden age of television and movies, then and now. Next time you're in New York, we'd like to suggest you checking out some of the city's police precincts. Now, that may not sound like an ideal vacation, but you're guaranteed to meet some old friends. Head over to the 14th at Check In with Cagney and Lacey. Go to the 15th, and you'll meet NYPD Blues Finest. The 11th, it's Kojak, who loves you, baby. And if it's the 4077th, well, you're in South Korea and need a new GPS. But head over to the old 1-2 and you'll meet Captain Barney Miller and his squad. And that's exactly what we've done, catching up with actor Hal Linden, who brought Barney to life and somehow kept some sanity in the 12th Precinct. Barney Miller ran on ABC from 1975 to 1982, at a time when a number of shows were attempting to push the boundaries of television, and it succeeded in a big way. Join us for our conversation with Hal Linden as we look back at the life and times of Captain Barney Miller. First of all, I was just reading in Wikipedia a quote you gave uh, after Barney was over, Barney Miller was over, where you said that doing the show and leaving Broadway was the greatest choice and the greatest mistake you ever made. Why would you feel that way? I'm <laughs> just curious.
1: You know, you know something? I don't recognize that quote at all. <laughs> Maybe they lied. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't consider it a mistake at all.
2: Okay.
1: Not at all. No. Okay. Uh it, I I had uh, nothing but uh, fond memories of Barney. It was the one of the uh, certainly the best. Television experience I have had, yeah. and I mean, I mean that from a creative standpoint, because it was, it was like being in a in a uh, stage company, like a, a like a repertory company that would that would work together, and we knew each other, and, and we were able to contribute to each other. Was to, it was. Ter- it was uh, I have never had a uh, as creative an experience in television since. Maybe that's the mistake. I don't know. I, uh, you know, something. What's that? It used to be that the first entry in Wikipedia was that I was dead. <laughs> Does <That>, it really? <laughs> that's that's how accurate uh, the second that entrance was. What are you talking about? I just saw. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, that's how accurate Wikipedia is. Oh yeah, I, know. I would. Uh, don't don't count on it. Fair enough. Uh, I don't think I ever said that.
0: All right. Well, well, I don't think I ever. It? though about Barney Miller that made you say that? Yeah, I want because you had a very you know very good stage career going. What was it about this show? Do you remember what it was that drew you in and made you say, "Yes, I want to commit to this"?
1: Initially, the first pilot of Barney Miller did not sell. Right. That time, I was on. I was in a Broadway show, and I had the uh, and my managers had put into the contract that uh, I had to be released to do a pilot. And sure enough, there came this pilot. So, uh, I did it. Uh, that was the pilot that did not sell now. Six to eight months later, uh, Danny Arnold, the producer convinced, somehow convinced the network to do two more episodes. I was no longer under contract. Right. Now it was a quite, now I really had the choice because I knew the property. I knew Danny. And I had on my uh, offer to play a lead in a Broadway musical. So there, that's the time I had the real decision was before the second and third episodes. Right. And uh, and that was honestly almost Cavalier. Uh, I I've been doing very well on Broadway and I I waited till the last minute. I had to make a decision. I finally said to my manager, well, we've done Broadway. Let's try television. It was that cavalier. Wow. Uh, it wasn't because it was, you know, what I thought was terrific. I wasn't even sure about it, if you really want to know. Really? Uh, we weren't sure about it because we were executing somebody else's vision of what it should be. Uh, and they were changing the cast for the next Two, two episodes, so it was very up in the air. So it was quite cavalier on my part. I uh, kind of said, "What the hell? Let's try it."
0: But could you imagine eight years? I mean, <laughs> at that point, can you imagine it? No. The, no, huh? no, I had
1: no. Listen, even after we were on the air, uh, I remember specifically that the the local critic, what was his name, Cecil Smith, I think his name was, okay. had a list of the shows that were on the bubble of being canceled. And we were right up there. Wow! <laughs> yes. You know, networks for my patient was not was not an easy sell. It was not, not mm. particularly. It took a long time for people to catch catch on to it and become fans. Why do you think that was? Well, it wasn't in your face. Uh, it was very subtle. Basically, is why it, what it was. It was relationship. It was not uh, punch lines. There were no punchlines right. and there were no, everybody played it v- relatively realistically. It was very low key. All the comedy came from outside and our reaction to the people coming in outside. And that was not something that was expected in that time. Uh, everything was more straight line punch lines. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was more sketchy rather than realistic happy days. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, More sketchy um, going for the last. That basically. was what was, yeah. that's what was expected. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of shows today that are quite sketchy. Yeah. You know, uh, but he, he envisioned it very differently and he put the limitations on our, we couldn't, you know, do stick. We, you know, there were limitations. Uh, his limitation was: Would you go to a police officer for help who behaved like that, like foolishly, a, a piece, basically foolish or yeah. funny? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We weren't allowed to be foolish. We were. So it was a very subtle uh, brand of humor, uh, which probably explains its its longevity. Yeah. Uh, You can that kind of humor you can watch over and over again and it's still funny punchline humor. Once you've heard the punchline, it's not particularly funny the second time. Yeah, Happy Days was number one. Oh yeah, two. We were number twenty. You know, right? Uh, but in in reruns, <laughs> it worked just as well as the first time around. Yeah, Happy Days seemed a little heavy-handed the second time around. Right. So uh, I, I suspect that was the, the reason for its longevity and the reason that it took so long to really sink into the public.
0: There was a realism, in a sense, to Barney. I mean, I think of it like, like you look at what All in the Family and MASH did for TV, right? They brought sort of a more realistic characters, more grounded, uh, even if they were in some yes. wacky... Barney felt like it was very much of its time in a good way. Not like locked off in time, but like really.
1: I, I, I agree. I yeah. agree. It, but but my, my my point is that we were all there was a, a lid on everything. You could yeah. never go too far just to get a laugh. You had to be you had to be a police officer, a real police officer that could do his job. Right. And that uh actually that lesson stood me in good stead for the rest of my uh television career is what works, you know, and what how far you can go. What or was how it? far not to go.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you had such an, a great ensemble of actors there and so often I felt like Barney yeah. Barney ended up being a straight man to a lot of them in some ways. Uh, I was. How I was, was that? I mean, what the, was that? Like is that okay?
1: In your well, mind? Well you know that uh crept into my to my sensitivity sensibility oh, slowly over the over the years or over the uh, you know episode to episode i realized basically that i was a straight man uh, the, the quintessential episode of Barney miller is, is probably uh hash brownies oh, everybody yeah. gets stoned <laughs> yeah and when we shot that you know uh <laughs> I, I turned to, to Danny. I said, everybody gets to do an Aria but me. Right. Because I was the only one who didn't eat the, and he said, and it was another lesson in life. He said, I have to have somebody up there to compare the others to. Nice. And there had to be somebody who didn't uh, eat the brownies. Right. So you could compare the the, the behavior.
0: Yeah, the contrast uh, between them and him.
1: So know. I, you know, from there on in, I said, so I'm going to be the straight man. That does, which is, you know, I I came to terms with it very early on. Uh, Jack Benny had a terrific career as a straight man, basically. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, I had no problem with it.
0: How, how about those actors that you co-starred with? Anybody you felt you worked with in particular, particularly well?
1: Yeah, the cast was uh, the first group uh, that started. Mm -hmm. There were no comedians in it. Nowadays, they make a a sitcom. There's always the comedian as the leader, a comedian or somebody. We had no comedians. They were all just actors playing real policemen. That was the point. Later on, uh, Steve Landisberg joined. He was a stand-up comic. Right. Ronnie Carey had done stand-up comedy. But the the, the initial group, there were no stand-up comics. We were just actors playing the parts. Right. And I think that was uh, indicative of why the show worked. Absolutely.
0: You know, it, you know, watching that first episode, it felt like they were trying to do a split between Barney's home life and his police life. They and-
1: were. Well, you have to remember the original... <laughs> the original title of the first pilot was The Life and Times of Barney Miller. Right. It was not just Barney Miller. And that was indeed, it was the same um, pilot where the, bo- the guy comes in and steals the gun and we have that same, the, the, the story was basically the same. Yeah. But it was intended to be half at home and half in the police station. It was supposed to be both parts of a policeman's life. When the, um, when, when the pilot didn't sell and he tried to get them to do other shows, that's when they said the, the home life was just another domestic sitcom. Right. The funny stuff was in the police station. So he, the next two episodes that we did were almost totally in the police station. And, and as you know, as, time, as, as, it settled in, it became basically the police station by the second year, Barbara Barry, who was playing my wife said, you know, you're trying to squeeze me in. She used to come down to the, uh, to the station house. And then, then really they tried to give her a, 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 a job. She was going to be a social worker and bring people in, you know, uh and then finally after i think 2 years she said listen it's too hard <laughs> you're trying to squeeze me in she says let me out yeah. and she she left the show uh because it just didn't function anymore right but that was the original concept that wow. we were going to see both sides of being a police officer right. the home life and the and the station house life
0: but you cops interacting with these perp perps Became the heart and soul of the show.
1: That is it. Became yeah. You see, the perps could be a little further out. Yeah. The perps didn't have to have, uh, you know, that that level of reality. The perps could, you know, even we had some pretty wild ones. Oh yeah. And uh, but that's that was the point. We were reacting to the perps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you guys were always yourselves, never
0: overreacting to the perps. The perps did the yeah. overreacting, I know, think which
1: that's is great. Never over overreacting, overacting, yeah, or overreacting either way. Absolutely. So, although you know, he he wrote some interesting storylines for us. Uh, oh yeah. Harris is the writer, and uh, the whole that whole show where Harris get shot at by a by a, another cop because he was running down an alley. Yes. Chasing a perp and a and a police a police uniform police took a shot at him yep. because he was a black man running down an alley with a gun. He didn't, you know what I mean? And so the whole question of of, of race uh, was raised in the show. Uh, so he really delved into a lot of very interesting personal issues with with all the characters.
0: It was gritty in a lot of ways. I don't mean just the setting of a New York police precinct, but the people you dealt with, the perps, again, even yourselves, the issues yeah. you dealt with. It was all had they were really
1: you know the, all the all the perps had a a, a little element of humor in. yeah yeah <laughs> uh, there were there's really no tragic stories that came in you know uh, he he didn't want to get. Overly uh, soap opera. So yeah, he, he, yeah. all all the perps had a little bit. Always had humor in them.
0: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But I, like I remember specifically, like, and, and I don't all the details, but I remember when Harris's book came out, and Harris was so yeah. preoccupied. I remember the conflict that built between Harris and Barney because well, he was so into go. his PR. That's... It was so real. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, years ago, Jack Klugman and Tony Randall, when they were doing The Odd Couple, hated the first season, they said, because there was no audience and they were performing just to the cameras. And they got a studio audience in and they loved it and it changed the show, basically. You guys kind of started with the studio audience and got away from it, right?
1: Exactly. We started out uh, like all other shows, but rehearsed for three days. Uh, uh, staging, you know, uh, camera wise for, for a day and then uh, run through and then two shows before, for uh, in front of a live audience. Right. And uh, we did about five shows that way. That's all. That's Maybe four. All. I don't even remember how. Wow. That's okay. all. Because what happened was Danny was such a, uh, well, first of all, he didn't like the format because he didn't have control of it. Uh, the, you know, those shows are edited on as you go, online. Mm-hmm. You know, from this camera to that camera. So, uh, even though they save what, you know, not in the edited version, sometimes there's no, you know, he would say, you don't have a close-up of such and such at this point. He says, no, he didn't get it. Well, that's too late. Right. <laughs> you can't, you know. So, um, uh he was the one we ended up uh, eventually the reason we, he was such a, a, a perfectionist script wise that very often by the third or fourth show at the first reading, we only had the first act. Oh, wow. And we would stage it and the pages would come down, you know, and uh, in about the fifth week or so or six, I don't remember exactly. Uh, we didn't have the end of the show we had to cancel the audience because oh my goodness. you can't do the show if you don't have the end of the show. Yeah, um, So in uh, the next week they said, you know, you can't cancel an audience. You got to tell us now. He says, well, you better not bring them in. We'll do it. And we never use an audience again. And what happened was it, I think that's one of the reasons that it was so real rather than theatrical. Mm. Uh, and not only uh, has a, uh, a lot of effects. One, people who, who come in, you know, one-timers, who just come in to play a part, uh, they know where the laughs are. And I'm telling you, if you do a, a, a sitcom in front of an audience and you don't get a laugh on a line that you should get a laugh on, you may never hear from that writing team again. You know, that could <laughs> no. you you're just not going to work for those people anymore. And that's how, that's how, uh, what vicious it is. What can I tell you? Yeah. So the point is a lot of the week, you know, uh, one show actors, the, uh, weekly actors would make sure that they get line laughs, which meant that they were overplaying way too much or would, you know, would be so much larger, in life that it was outside the bounds of the style of the show yeah and when you just put a camera there and you just play the scene real you know like you're in rehearsal and somebody's peeking at it that's when it started to work for us right uh uh, i i tried to i did some sitcoms after that one once again after that uh and i tried to talk him out of the audience. Oh, but they love the audience. W- writers love the audience. Mm-hmm. They like to hear audiences laugh at their jokes. Right. And the audiences that sit out there know that. So they laugh harder. Oh, that's interesting. And the yeah. second time you do it, even though they know the joke, they laugh again. Because right. they know their job is to laugh. So it's kind of fraudulent the whole yeah. thing. You know, I I never like uh, working in front of a studio audience. It's because, you you, the, you know, the odd thing is, quite honestly, the, the first time that I did the, the first pilot of Barney, I think I was offered three different series that year. Oh, wow. Uh, and the reason I did Barney was because it had a studio audience. And oh, I thought, funny. well, you know, because I'm a stage actor, I'll I'll be more at home, you know, in front of a studio audience. Of well, I was very quickly (laughs) dissuaded from that version because uh, the the cameraman would say, "Hey, over here, (laughs) not them, right? Over here, (laughs) this is where your audience is." And and uh, until you learn that, you know, you're you're way too big for the for the uh, little screen. So, uh, I mean, I learned that very quickly that that's why, you know, you do it in front of an audience. That's ego. Yeah. That's just writer's ego. They want to hear the laughs. That's all it is. I don't think it helps it at all. well, it, it does. Excuse me. I, I should rephrase that. It depends on the style of the show, right? Barney, which, which really was predicated on, on reality unrealistic cops d- demanded subtlety not uh, overt playing of comedy you know yeah. what I mean
0: yeah no it's I interesting mean, you say that anyway. because the stage thing I always thought I've always been under the impression oh you must have hated that because he's a stage man shows you what I know
1: <laughs> so. well it, it, that was what I thought yeah quite honestly yeah. but if you're going to honor the camera you have to ignore the audience well in a sense even on stage, you know, you do, even though you play larger on the stage because of the distance from the audience and you, you know, will physically make yourself uh, available to an audience on stage, uh, you can't do that on, on, on a camera. You have to, the audience is in the lens and you have to play. If it's a, if, if it's a close up, you have to play it one way. If it's a uh, a master, you have to play it a little bigger, right? You, don't, you know, you I need mean? all these things uh, which I learned when I came out here to do, Bonnie. I didn't know that when I came out here. I had the same idea. Oh, I'll play it like a like I'm playing a stage scene. Yeah, Well, no, it's not. That's so funny. You have to. The stage is limited by the size of the lens, right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you know I, I think back to
0: when Barney Miller was on the air, and I couldn't for the life of me tell you what the nature of these were, but I remember that there were always battles between ABC and, and, and uh, Danny Arnold. Yeah. What were the battles? Do you remember? I'm just curious. What kinds of battles
1: <laughs> oh. were going what? He laughs. He laughs in wow, response. I it. Yes, there was always. <laughs> well, first of all, we had um, – see danny Bonnie Miller was an independent production. It was not Paramount or Warner Brothers or Columbia or any of those big studios. It was Danny Arnold that was it. It was an independent production oh really okay so he would make artistic decisions and they would get notes from the you know he would send the script to you the, and they they send notes you know the 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 the, the network yeah. Gives you notes about what should be in it, what shouldn't be in it. Standards and practices, I'm sure, and all that stuff. You yeah. know, there's a there's a book out actually. Somebody actually kept a list of those notes that the network sent <laughs> down. That's a great idea. And yes, and the 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 title of the book is "A Note That Was Sent Down on Mork and Mindy," when a network, uh, what. Uh, Censor or whatever sent down a note about a line that Mork had, and he said, "A Martian would never say that." How <laughs> stupid! That, yes, <laughs> that's the title of the book. That's a great. Martian would never say that. Well, I mean, that's how inane. Oh yeah, most of their. Uh, so he. Then we also had, and this was the the one that I can uh, tell you the whole story was beauty actually. It was the first year, and it was possibly the show that pushed us into pickup, audience-wise. Okay. There was a show where where uh, Wojo became interested in a hooker. Yes. And the way he kept her from playing her trade was he kept busting all the hookers in the house. And so we'd have all these hookers around. We'd have to... Write him up and, and and then let him go because you know you can't be put put your time on that. And exactly what happened, we had to let him go, and he kept he kept bringing him in. And finally, at one point, he sat down and asked her. You know, I said maybe we can you know have a date, and she said, "Sure, like everybody else, fifty bucks." Huh. And and he was mortified and, you know, and and, and anyway, just before the last scene in the show, I'm getting ready to go home or he is. And he tells me about, you know, how how devastated he was by this whole, this whole uh, thing. And I give him that fatherly advice. You can't, you can't, Control other people's behavior; you can only tr- control your own. You know that, and I and so yeah, he, you know, he's about to leave, and he turns back to me and he says, "Barney, can you lend me fifty bucks till payday?" <laughs> oh, exactly. Now the entire show is predicated, is is built up so that that line pays off. Yeah, right. Yep. The network comes down and says. You can't say that. <laughs> of course. And, and, and Danny says, why not? And he says, because that means he's going to go with the hooker. <sighs> and Danny says, very good. You got the point. I'm glad you understood. You <laughs> But you can't say that. So now, again, we're shooting the show down on the set. He's up in the office arguing with the network. Right. We get to the last scene and we haven't heard anything yet. And finally, we're about to shoot the scene. The director calls him up. He says, Danny, we're about to shoot the last scene. What do we do? And he was still, this is midnight. He's arguing with the the guy from the network about how he can't say that. And Danny said, shoot the show the way I wrote it. Hangs up the phone and he tells the network, I'm shooting the show the way I wrote it. If you don't want to put it on, don't put it on. But if you don't put it on, I'm not going to make any more. Wow. I mean, and this, again, this was a show that was not, in the, this wasn't a top ten right. show. he was in
0: no bargaining
1: position to make that kind of statement. No, really? not at all. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we shot the show. They put it on the air, believe it or not, with an X rating. Oh, for God. Did they really? Uh, yes, yes. I I don't know what the – I don't remember the name of the show, but you can look it up. Yeah, I can look You'll it up. Like You'll see it starts with an X rating. Oh, that's so funny. Two, two um, uh, affiliates, I believe in Alabama and Mississippi or somewhere, refused to, pu- to put it on the air. <laughs> but, of course, it made the papers that you had an X-rated sitcom. Right. You know, and that pushed the ratings – way the hell up <laughs> and got us an audience, you know, that that you know, it's a more sad about, you know, just out of curiosity, watch the show. And quite honestly, it was a very funny and a good show. So yeah. a lot of them stayed with us. And that was the beginning of, of what gave us longevity was that stupidity from the, uh, from the network. Amazing. But that was typical. Of oh yeah. He used to write scripts. We would, we would sit down on Monday and read a script and there would be some really awful, salacious joke in it. And, you know, everybody would say, well, what, what is that? You don't really want to say it. It's just, no, I got to give him something to cut. Right. He would write in the stuff that he knew they would cut. And he always says, oh, oh sure. You know, and then he would cut it. He would never have put it in. Right. In the show. He never would have done it. But I mean, that was the relationship with the network until we were a hit. Right. And then he said, please stop sending me the censor. I'm going to send you the stuff. You put it on the air. Okay. And that was from there on in, we were fine with the network. Wow. That's until, awesome. But it wasn't until we, he was in a position to say, please stop sending that guy.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's very interesting when a creator of a show knows when to draw the line in the sand and say, you know what? I'm doing the show. You either air it or don't air it, but this is what we're doing. Yeah. You know, F you basically. I'm doing it my way.
1: Listen, listen, listen. The first, again, the pilot, I'll tell you what kind of guy Danny Arnold was. The first pilot wasn't, was, uh, was, um, was written by Danny Arnold and Ted Flicker. And the reason they were together was they were both uh, represented by William Morris. And both of them had, uh, pilots that they were trying to sell about police stations, and William Morris said we'll never be able to sell two, and we can't sell one more than the other. So will you guys get together? And he got them together, and they did Barney Miller, the pilot, the original pilot. Wow. Uh, Ted Flicker directed it. Danny sat in the back and produced it. Right. Uh, as I say, it was not picked up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was a, a failed. Piloted. They put it on in the summer under the, you know, the ABC comedy theater. Yeah. <laughs> the dead pilots. Yeah, right. <laughs> the <with> dead <laughs> pilots go to die, right. <laughs> Danny didn't give up. He somehow convinced them to do two more episodes. And what he did was he bought back. He personally mortgaged his home and bought the deficit financer out. He now owned 75% of it instead of 25%. Wow. Normally, the deficit financer owns 50 and the writers own 50. That's 25 each. Right. He now owns 75. He told Ted Flicker, sit home. Uh, I'm going to do it my way.
0: Flicker and Flicker accepted Danny, that.
1: Ted, Ted Flicker never set foot on the stage after that. Never saw him. Wow. And the man made. Millions, oh, yeah, I believe that millions uh, very interesting, absolutely, um, yeah, you know. and uh, but that's the kind of guy Danny was, yeah he he at one point in his life, he told me he had a deal, I think he was living in Palm Springs, he had a deal with the with the um Palm Springs Police Department he would buy the coins that they took out of the parking meters okay because he had a he he knew what coins were valuable what uh, pennies, what dimes and he would sit at home and go through all those nickels and dimes oh and my God. and quarters <laughs> and pick finally what he made it was enough for him to to keep going on yeah that's the kind of guy danny was wow that's amazing <laughs> yes. Uh, he also uh, he was an amazing man. Yeah, he was an amazing man. He was a he was a, um, but a very down to earth man. He was not an intellectual. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He was just a very down to earth guy who knew who knew just instinctively knew humor. Right. He just knew what was funny and how to and 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 how to how not to overdo it and how to play it. Uh, probably it was, uh, you know, probably one of the f- few geniuses I've worked with in my career, and it's a long career. I work with a lot of great, you know, people, and Danny has to be in, in that group. Wow!
0: He also ended the show, right? From what I was reading, because I don't remember That's
1: this part. Right. He of retired it. it.
0: Yeah, he that retired. was so
1: it was unusual. Not yeah. Well, the year before, uh, the last. Uh, the, the next to the last season was difficult. Sitcoms are by definition uh, self-cannibalized. Mm-hmm. Now, what do I mean by that? Tell me. Well, in those <laughs> days, I don't know what it is today. Right. Uh, you know, but in those days, you only had three three networks. And uh, if, a, if there was a hit sitcom, a sitcom has like maybe six writing sources a team of, you know, one guy, maybe three guys write together, right. it's about six writing sources or so. The top one is the showrunner. That was Danny. And then he had a guy under him and another guy after that. And they would uh, have meetings and put out storylines and assign it to any one of the groups. You know, and then he would come back with a script and Danny would look through it and edit it or ask for changes. And that's how they got the scripts. Well, If the the minute a show is a hit show, the number two guy, his agent is now in all the networks, pitching his number two guy to be the number one guy, and that's what happens. You the second year you miss sometimes you lose the number two and three, which we did at one point. Wow, and so you got to get a number, a new number five and six, and move everybody up. Right, and that's it's self cannibalizing. Every year we would lose one or two. You know, eventually he made one of the other guys a showrunner. You know, and, and he uh, he actually got sick, so he had to. Right. Uh, so, but but we lost one by one these writing sources would disappear because they were going on to new shows or instead of being the number 5 guy they're going to be the number 2 guy on that show you know what i mean yeah that's what and that's that's the way it works so by the the next to last year it was getting difficult with with uh shows he wanted to uh uh retire the show then and there Cause he was getting there. You know, he told upon everybody he knew who could write us a, a, a sitcom, you know, and it was just getting harder and harder and harder. And, um, so he was going to cancel it actually a year earlier, but there was some contractual reason he had to continue, but he came and he said to us, listen, guys, I am going to solicit spec scripts from anybody in America. I'm going to go to every college English department. And that's what he did. So he, uh, for about a month, we, we didn't see him. He was just reading spec scripts. And he, I remember when he finally came down, he said, guys, listen to me. Every script I get is just a boiled over version of what we already did. The only reason this show should have a life is if it's as good as it can be. And I don't want to do anything less. By just kind of repeating ourselves, everybody was writing the monologues that uh uh, Dietrich did or the coffee jokes, you know, yeah, for for, for, everyone, they were just rewrites of the same material, basically. And he said, So we've had a good run, time for you guys to go on to something else. (laughs) And he retired the show at the end of that year. They didn't cancel it. They were. We could have gone on as long as Mash. I suspect.
0: Yeah. But,
1: wow. Um,
0: and how were you though with that happening? I mean, were you fine with saying, "Okay, eight years is
1: enough. I'm done." Me, I had. I, I had no choice in the matter. Yeah. So I was certainly fine with it. And quite honestly, at that point in my life, I thought, "Well, maybe, maybe I'll do some movies. Maybe I'll do go back to Broadway. You know." And which is what I did do. Yeah. I actually went into another uh, another series. And, you know, uh, so I wasn't, I wasn't hurting, but, uh, I would have stayed and done another couple of years yeah. if he, if he wanted me to, because it, it was, as again, no other set was like that one. It was just, it was like a, like a repertory company where everybody respects everybody. Everybody knows and, and everybody's input was there. And yet we were not, we never had lived. We never came up with funny lines. It was only executing the script as Danny would would send it down. Yeah.
0: You know, does it amaze you then that here you and I are talking so many years later about this show? Or does uh, it not surprise
1: you at all? Well, it doesn't... uh, I I, (laughs) I can't say that I envisioned that uh, 30 years ago, how long ago it was. I I I can't say that I envisioned it. But I knew that we were doing something that was different from what was being done at the time. Not in form. Mm-hmm. Not in form. Everybody says, you know, we broke the old and made a new form. No, sir, it was not. Uh, they had been. They're called gang comedies. My God, the, the the British films, all the gang comedy films of of the fifties, and you know, <laughs> preceded us. Uh, uh, Sergeant Bilko was a gang right. comedy. Uh, there were plenty of gang comedies. The forum was not what made it. It was the execution. Yeah. In the year that we went on the air, there was a gang comedy in a prison. There was a gang comedy in a department store. There were about three or four other gang comedies. They all faded and disappeared. There was a gang comedy in a bar
2: right.
1: that died. It was about f- 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 how many years later that they came up with Cheers. Right, but they, you know, there was always there were gang comedy and there was a gang again the gang comedy in the bar that did not make it. Right, Cheers executed it. They didn't. So it's the execution, not the concept. Absolutely. <laughs> and 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 it was uh, and Danny was really strong when it came to, to that execution.
0: But when I was asking about your surprise, it wasn't so much saying, oh, did you envision it? No, nobody could envision. People say that all the time. It's like, did you imagine? No, nobody does. That's silly. Uh, (laughs) But the fact that here we are in 2018 and you and I are talking about Barney yeah, That's what I meant. Are you surprised by that at all?
1: You know, I'll tell you, I had looked at it in I don't know how many years. Um, um, Last year, I have a, a, a concert act that I do that I've been doing for 40 years. And uh, now it's down to playing to very old people in old places <laughs> <laughs> who know, who remember who the hell I was. Right. You know, uh, but, but normally we do. And it runs about an hour and 10 minutes, what I do. Mm-hmm. So normally we put up maybe a comic in front of us for 20, 20 25 minutes, or uh, the band would play a few songs. And then I'd come on to make it an hour and a half show that I'd... Uh, so Last time I was booked for a tour, um, we said, what do you know? How are you going to open it? And somebody suggested a clip show. Okay. So I said, that's a great idea. And that's what we do. When the audience comes in, the screen is down, and we start right away. No introduction. The lights go down and we put clips from Barney Miller. Runs about 12, 13 minutes, something like that. Okay, and then it goes to the title, and the music starts, and the live music takes over, and they pull the screen out, ladies and gentlemen, Hal Linden. That's my entrance. Nice, nice, really works well. Yeah, fun. yeah. Uh, but I had to put the clip show together. Now, honestly, it's not that enormous an economical deal where I could go into a studio and spend two weeks at studio rates doing the club show. Uh. So I had to sit in my bedroom with, you know, back it up, back it up, back it up right. notes. And I started watching Barney Miller from the, from the start. I watched all 167 wow. episodes. Yes. It took me a while. It was very interesting all the clips, almost all the clips that I chose were from the first two years. Oh, that is interesting. And the reason is because by the third year, you didn't have to explain a a person's reaction. You know what I mean? Because they already knew the character and how he would react to something. Yeah. So a clip has to be self-explanatory, has to have a beginning, a middle and an end. Right. You know what I mean? You can't just have a joke in the middle of nowhere you have to have a scene that makes where the audience can follow it from and that was hard to find but i was amazed i was amazed i mean i mean it would be like three o'clock in the morning and i'd say no one more i'll watch one more, one more. Watch one. <laughs> you know it's good <laughs> so it was it it was i i i can tell you this i don't remember ever walking away from a a shooting of of an episode of Bonnie Miller and anybody saying we'll do better next week. Right. We never, that was one of the reasons that one of the things about it was that it was an independent production. So when we started shooting, uh, we would shoot the whole thing in uh, basically in one day, in uh, two, two days. Right. We rehearse three days and then start at the top. With the first scene, stage it as we staged it. We would be rehearsing it, and we were ready as soon as we're ready. We shot it, and when we were satisfied, then we move on to the next scene. It took us two days, and we would shoot the show. But it was always always went to midnight or one o'clock or something, something that you'd never get from a studio because they wouldn't let you. Because you know, golden time, people getting cameramen getting triple pay, whatever. Right, but Danny. Danny said, we stay until it's right. Wow. And uh, 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 right, exactly. It was some... Uh, when, so when I tell you, I never had an experience since like it in production of television. Believe me. Yeah. The, Danny was such a, a perfectionist that he would only let it go when he thought he couldn't do, do it any better. Now, he wasn't... Uh, He didn't direct most of them. He had other directors because he was always involved with the writing. But he was there to make sure, you know. And we, by that time, very early on, realized we're not going to pass on a scene. Well, we got the lines right. Forget It's good enough. Yeah. Never good enough. It was always how good could it be? How right could it be? And we just, if you're going to, and an actor could say, let's do one more. I want to try something else. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we would do it. And, uh, which uh, you, you don't get to do on television. No. <laughs> or no, movies no. for that matter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But it's obvious then that, that, uh, cause it's a stupid question given everything you've said, but I, but I almost feel like I have to ask it anyway. Barney feels like he's like really high up there for you in terms of your career, that he remains.
1: Well, you know, there's no question personally in my life what it meant in my career and my in my life was you know an enormous sea change i was a very successful broadway actor i was doing very well i was making very good money in new york uh very big in voiceover i was i was you know i could have stayed and continued doing it i guess uh I took the chance and and, uh, for for all the people, you know, who saw me on Broadway in my entire life, (laughs) probably saw one episode of Bonnie Miller. So uh, it it certainly, you know, made me a, you know, a known commodity and, uh, and, you know, changed my life. So certainly for that reason, but not only for that reason, but because it it was the kind of work I've been trying to do the rest of my life. And I and I learned it. I got to do it in 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 that first in my first television series. Yeah. So that's uh, that's a that's a rarity. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Is it? I mean, and then you're always fight. I don't mean you necessarily, but people, you know, when something like that happens, when you get that opportunity, you almost spend so many years trying to get that again.
1: Well, we did. We did. Yeah. I never did. Yeah. I did three more series. Right. I had three. I was a star of three more series, and none of them worked. I tried to change it. I tried not to be do. I did two that were not sitcoms, <coughs> trying to, uh, you know, change, uh, broaden the the the, uh, the picture. Uh, but they uh, some were very good, and uh, actually, the next one was was Black's Magic, right. and that was really good good show. And the next one after that was Jack's Place. That was a very good show. Yeah. But uh, for for a couple of different reasons, uh, very interesting reasons, they never made it. Uh, Jack's Place was a, uh, we had done uh, like a a summer series, six episodes of Jack's Place. And it was a big hit in the summer. It was on Tuesday evenings at 10 10 o'clock. Okay. Jack's place. And it was a big hit and they decided to go into production, put it in. And so we went to Vancouver and started doing it It even more imaginative. It was very good. Yeah. The problem is they changed the, the guy at the head of ABC, Uh, whoever it was. I don't remember who was in and who came in. But a new guy came in as the head of programming of, NBC, of ABC. Right. And one of the things they have to prove is not only that they're very good, but the guy before them was very bad.
0: Right. So they have to get rid of all of
1: his shows, basically. You know, uh, Trump and Obama. What can I tell you? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's an extreme yeah. version. But, yeah. yes, I know they what you're saying. They have to prove that the guy before them was an idiot. Yeah. And so um, – the question was, you know, we were already in production up in Vancouver, hey. and we were going to go on the air in what, March or something? I mm-hmm. forget when mid-season was, February. Yeah. February. And um, the question was, we, were we going to get our Tuesday at 10 o'clock spot back when the audience for us was already there? Right. So we kept waiting, 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 Enough. I don't know if we, I got the phone call from... Uh, the new head, who was so proud of the new time slot. We were going to go on, <laughs> yeah. at, I think, Thursdays at nine o'clock, or yeah. something like that, which was opposite the last 13 weeks of Cheers. Oh, good luck. <laughs> That's good when he luck. put us on. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. How yeah. to get rid of what he had to get rid of. Exactly. Yep. Definitely. So, uh, you know, you lose shows for many years. It was a, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed working on all the shows I've done. Um, some more than others, but... The, sure. Uh, and you get canceled for... Uh, we had... Uh, uh, I lost Black's Magic because it was a question of whether they put... I don't know. There was one other show that was a an hour-long uh, police thing, you okay. know, and they, they could only do one, and so they went with it. With the biggest star, I guess I don't remember why right. they took us off because so we were doing great and the numbers, you know. So you you lose a show for a whole bunch of reasons.
0: Oh sure. Yeah. But Then you make the one that stands the test of time, my friend. <laughs>
1: so. It sure does. It does. It, it really sure does. does. I can tell you, I just watched every one of the episodes. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm telling you, I was not disappointed by a single one. <laughs>
0: We hope you enjoyed our visit with Hal Linden. And by the way, you can catch episodes of Arnie Miller Weeknights on Antenna TV. So why wouldn't you? Thanks for listening. See you next time on CloserWeekly.com's Classic TV and Film Podcast.